I would like to invite your attention to the second chapter of Paul's letter to the Philippians, and specifically verses 19 through 30, where the Apostle Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to see you soon, to send, excuse me, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let me start, as I oftentimes like to do, by asking you a question. And here's the question. Do you have any role models? And you may be thinking to yourself, well, when I was a kid, I had role models, but now I'm all grown up, I, I don't really have one. And perhaps you think you don't need one. I remember back when Michael Jordan was the most well-known athlete on the planet and Nike was quick to capitalize on his fame and uh, they created a marketing campaign that ran for several years and it was, it was simple and it was brilliant in its simplicity. It simply said, I want to be like Mike. And of course, he sold a bazillion shoes and shirts and everything else. Well, what were they saying? Well, Nike understood that millions of young people looked up to Michael Jordan and saw him as their role model. I personally believe it's good to have role models regardless of your age, regardless of whatever age you may be. Uh, I have role models. I have role models both living and dead that I look up to and I try and model my life, my life after certain aspects of their lives. And Unfortunately, we live in a culture now where it's easy to publicize yourself as a role model. They may, use, they may not use the term role model. They may call themselves a guru or an expert or some kind of professional in their field. But would you know this, and I know that you know it, but just let me remind you of it. Not everyone is worthy of the title of role model. Not everyone is a worthy role model. Well, what is the value in having a role model? Well, here's the value. The value in having a role model is simply having someone that you can look to whose life demonstrates the qualities that you would like to see reproduced in your own life. Or perhaps you, will, you need to see reproduced in your own life. And the value in having a role model is uh, this person has fleshed out the ideas for you that you want to see in your own life. 
You know, for millions of kids, Michael Jordan was a role model of what you could achieve through, obviously, great talent, but also hard work and effort. So a role model shows us that it is possible to be what we want to be and in the Christian life, what we need to be. And the Apostle Paul clearly understood this. He understood that there was a need for us as believers to have role models that we could look to. We need to have role models that we can look to as we realize that it is possible for us to live out the Bible's command to have the mind of Christ, which we studied earlier. We probably ask ourselves then, and maybe we have continued to ask ourselves, well, what exactly does it look like to have the mind of Christ? What does it look like to put the interest of others before our own? What does it look like to count others more significant than ourselves? And perhaps we've thrown up our hands uh, with a certain amount of despair and said, you know, I, ju I just wish I had somebody as a role model who I could look to and see all of these characteristics, all of their qualities being lived out in their lives. If we just had some real life examples. And that's not wrong to want that. In fact, I think it's a sign of wisdom to want that. So as Paul begins to draw this section of his letter to a close, he brings two men to our attention by the names of Timothy and Epaphroditus. And they are role models. They are examples of what it means to have the mind of Christ. They are role models of what it means to put the needs of others before our own. They are role models of what it means to count others more significant than ourselves. So if we want to know how, what Paul has been teaching, how does, that look, what, how does that look in the flesh? How does that look in real life? So, Tim, so Paul gives us these two examples. As you're reading the flow of the letter, at first glance, you may think, well, Paul, this seems completely out of place. You've been teaching us all these wonderful truths. Now, why all of a sudden are you interjecting here about the Timothy and Epaphroditus. It seems completely out of place when reality is perfectly placed because Paul's given us all of this wonderful information. He's taught us all of these things. And because he is a master teacher, he says, here you go. Here's exactly what it looks like to put others first. Here's exactly what it looks like to have the mind of Christ. Here's exactly what it looks like to count others more significant than yourselves. Now, I mentioned Timothy and Epaphroditus as two role models, but in actuality, there are three role models in this passage. The third one is the Apostle Paul. And so what Paul does here, he introduces us to men who lived out what they said they believed. In the case of Paul, we see Paul practicing what he preached. In the case of Timothy and Epaphroditus, we see two men who said that they believed these things, and we know that they believed these things. How? Because they lived out their beliefs. And Paul, he demonstrates just what a great teacher he is. He knows how much it will benefit us if we just had 
a person that you and I can identify with in order to understand what he's been teaching us through the opening portion of his letter. And the thing that I like about Timothy and Epaphroditus is that they are on their way, they're in the process, they are developing spiritual maturity. Say, well, how do you know they're developing spiritual maturity? Because they are acting on what they have been taught. Listen, I am not nearly as impressed by what you know or say you know as I am by what you do. And more importantly, God is not all that impressed by with what you say you know. He's more impressed by what you do. Now, let's just pause here for a moment and, and uh, make sure we're on the same page. When we talk, we talk about spiritual maturity, we need to understand that it is a lifelong process. You do not become a spiritual oak tree overnight. You do not become a spiritual oak tree in just one season of growing. We do not become spiritually mature overnight. There is not some spiritual growth pill that you can take. There's not a spiritual protein shake that you can shake up every morning and drink her down, and by nighttime, uh, you're just like Paul. No, it doesn't work that way. It's a process that continues throughout our lifetime. And we must understand this as well so that we don't become discouraged. We need to understand that our growth in becoming like Jesus is a process that will never be fully completed in our lifetimes. Seek out the, the most godly believer that you know, and they will tell you that there's still so much room for growth and maturity in their lives. They will readily confess that they have some areas in their lives that they need to grow up in. And the more mature they are, they will recognize their own spiritual shortcomings as well as the amount of remaining sin within them. So Paul completely understood that we as believers, we will never arrive in this life. That's why he told the believers in Ephesus that God gives godly leaders to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And we know that none of us fully attains that in this lifetime. And by the way, a mark of maturity is realizing that you are not fully mature and there's more work to be done. Listen, you will give yourself away rather quickly if you tell me, you tell another Christian that you have arrived spiritually. No, you have just betrayed yourself big time. You have just told us everything we need to know about you that you are not spiritually mature. A complacent believer, by the way, reveals their spiritual immaturity. For those who think that they have no more work to do, for those who think that they are okay, that God is satisfied with whatever level they have reached, no, no, a complacent believer, you are revealing your spiritual immaturity. Therefore, as you look for a spiritual role model, you need to make sure that you're looking for someone who is spiritually mature. And by the way, that does not always mean that their hair is gray. Y your hair could be gray. 
And you could still be very spiritually immature. Your hair could be jet black, and you could be spiritually mature. Okay. So let's not fool ourselves here. Now, when I talk about a spiritually mature Christian, I'm not talking about somebody who's perfect, but someone who is growing in grace, someone who's growing in Christ's likeness, someone who demonstrates that they are doing their best with the help and the power of the Holy Spirit to live out the mind of Christ day by day. Say, so, well, what's the, what's the point of having a role model? Well, the point of having a role model is that you want to resemble them. And we see this all the time, right? You know, especially in children, as they, uh, they get fixated on perhaps a, a cartoon character or some show. And uh, why, why do we just pass Halloween? Why do kids dress up like Spider-Man or Superman or Batman or any man? Why do they do that? That's... Something about them. They want to be like them. They want to resemble them. Well, as a Christian, who is it that we are to resemble the most? It's not a trick question. It's the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus. And if you remember earlier in Paul's letter here, he told them that they were to have the mind of Christ. Say, well, what does that mean? To have the mind of Christ is to think like Christ and in turn begin to act like Christ, it means to live as Christ lived. Dennis Johnson says, it's one thing to say, I want to be like Jesus. It's another thing to pull it off. Millions of kids found out that it was one thing to say, I want to be like Mike. It was another thing to dunk like Mike. Amen. So it's easy to say, I want to be like Jesus, but it is very difficult to pull off. So the question that confronts us here this morning is, how do you and I become like Jesus with all of our daily struggles? How do we do that? And we must admit that Jesus set the bar pretty high. We could even go so far as to say that Jesus has set the bar incredibly high. And if Jesus were the only role model that God has provided for us, we may be tempted to despair. Because as we study the life of Jesus in the Gospels, what do we see? We see him interacting with the religious leaders of the day. We see him interacting with the scribes and the Pharisees. We see him interacting with his disciples. But what we don't see is how Jesus handled many of the circumstances of daily life that you and I deal with. Not that he didn't deal with them, but that wasn't the emphasis of the Gospels. So that presents a real challenge for us, doesn't it? If Jesus were to be the only role model, then we're a little bit lacking in information. Again, Dennis Johnson's helpful here. He says, unlike his apostles, we have not been able to observe how Jesus handled stress or responded to unexpected events or dealt with an unreasonable supervisor or coped with whiny children. The gospel gives us glimpses of Jesus in action in similar situations when his enemies harassed him or his friends' childish attitudes seemed to try even his patience. But still we wish that God would place into our lives today role models whom we could personally watch in action. 
Well, thankfully, the good news is God has done exactly that. He has given us role models. He has placed role models into our lives that we can look to and see how the gospel is played out in day-to-day life. So in this passage, there are three role models that I want to take a look at over the next few weeks. First of all, Paul is a role model of what it means to be a submissive servant. Second, Timothy is a role model of what it means to be a selfless servant. And then thirdly, Epaphroditus is a role model of what it means to be a suffering servant. But this week, we'll just deal with Paul. Now, what do I mean when I say that Paul is a submissive servant? What do I mean by that? Well, simply this, that Paul understood that Jesus controlled both his current and his future circumstances. Paul understood that Jesus was in complete control of both what was happening in the present and what would happen in the future. We see this straight away in verse 19. Look at verse 19 again. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered cheered by news of you. I hope in the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 24. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. See, Paul understood that even as he made his plans, that his plans were subject to change. And why were his plans subject to change? Because he understood that the Lord Jesus was in complete control of both his current and his future circumstances. Paul understood that he should and that he could make plans, but it was God in his sovereignty who would ultimately direct his steps. Paul understood what Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 16. The heart of a man plans his way, but what's it say? The Lord establishes his steps. Now, have you ever experienced this? It's not uncommon for us to plan to go in one direction. But as we set out to achieve our goal, the Lord redirects our steps It takes us to a completely different destination. And once we arrive at this completely different destination than the one we originally planned, we recognize that the place God has brought us to is so much better than the place that we in our limited wisdom and insight wanted to go. I'm sure we've all experienced that. And by the way, Scripture provides a pretty stiff rebuke to those Christians who make their plans without ever factoring in the will of God and the plan of God and the sovereignty of God. In fact, James has a warning to uh, arrogant and brash believers who make their plans without factoring in God's will. You've heard these verses, James chapter 4. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. 
Now, let me make sure that we're not, I'm not confusing things here. I am not saying, and the Bible certainly does not say, that we should not have goals and plans for our lives. We most certainly should have goals and plans for our lives. To have goals, to set goals, and to have plans for our lives is simply an exercise in good stewardship. But as we make our plans and as we set our goals, we do so with the knowledge that God may have other plans for us. Have you found that to be true? So God's plan for us, well, let me ask you this. Whose plan is better? Yours or God's? Well, God's plan is always better. So God, because God's plan is the better plan, when we submit to his plan, as Paul did many times, what happens? We find that God's plan always brings God glory, a glory that he so richly deserves. Now, let's be honest. Many times we make our plans and we set our goals in order to do what? Really to make us look better, to achieve what we want to achieve so that we may be get a little bit of glory, say, hey, look at me, look what I've done, look what I've accomplished. Well, as a Christian, we should never have that motivation. Again, Paul says, whatever you do, whatever you eat, whatever it is, do all to the glory of God. So God's plan is always better. Now, let me say this. We can never use the sovereignty of God as an, as an excuse for passivity. We can never do that. We must not use the sovereignty of God to cause us to be lethargic in living our lives or that we develop a spirit of fatalism. You know, it's the Doris Day theology, K, Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. Go home and Google Doris Day, some of you. No, as a Christian, we are, not, we, we are certainly not fatalist, nor should we be passive. And Paul certainly doesn't set that kind of example for us. That is not the role model that Paul is for us. Paul, now think, think about this. Paul, even as he is under house arrest, is doing what? He's making his plans for the future. He writes letters to his beloved brothers and sisters. He's certainly witnessing to his guards. He planned to continue his ministry to the church at Philippi as soon as he could. Just because he was inactive for the moment doesn't mean that he shut down. We need to be so careful about that. Paul was not sitting around licking his wounds. He did not give in to this attitude of fatalism. No, he's writing letters. He's witnessing. He knows exactly what he's going to do when the knock on the door comes. And he hopes to hear, Paul, you're free to go. You know what he's going to do? He wasn't going to take a week or two and go sightseeing around Rome. 
No. He was going to go to Philippi. And by the way, do you know the, the, the distance from Rome to Philippi? It's not like going from here to Lexington. It was 700 miles. 700 miles. You had to take a boat for part of it. But he had his plan set. He knew exactly what he was going to do. Paul understood that his time and change was part of God's plan for him. He understood that what was happening to him at this particular time in his life was a part of God's calling on his life. He used his downtime to lift others up. And what a wonderful example Paul sets for us. You know, one of the things that I've tried to keep before us as a church during these past months where nothing seems to change is the truth that God is sovereign. That God has been actively superintending all the events of the past few months. I've tried to hold before us the reality that God never stopped working and therefore we must never stop working as well. And I think about what God has done for us as a church this year. Ben and I were talking about this Earlier, I believe it was this week, you know, the pandemic has brought us new people and with new people comes new opportunities. Do you realize that every problem has a twin? You know what that twin is? Opportunity. So we acknowledge the problem, but we embrace the opportunity. And that's exactly what God has allowed us to do. You know, it'd be so easy for us to say to ourselves, well, you know, this pandemic thing, I guess God doesn't want us to do much right now or he wouldn't have allowed this to happen. And some people have adopted that attitude, unfortunately. But that is completely false. That is the wrong thing to say. Rather, what we should say is, Look at the opportunity that God has given to us to explore new ways of loving our neighbors. Look at the opportunity that God has given to us to expand our ministry in ways that others may not have the capability to do or the desire to do. Listen, I, one thing that I am always critically aware of is the level of talent that God has blessed us with as a church. We have some very talented and skillful people. I do not take that lightly. We have people who excel at what they do. And we're trying to use them in creative ways to reach out to our community, to reach out to our neighbors. That's part of the reason why we did the video. and We've got more videos planned. That's why a group of us met last Sunday, and I just read over a list this morning of probably 30 or 40, 50 different outreach ideas, things that we could do in order to reach out to our community. Say, you're going to do those things during a pandemic, especially during a pandemic. I'm not wasting the opportunity. Amen? I am not wasting the opportunity. I'm not waiting for it to pass. Beloved, it may not pass. We all say God's on his throne. He'll take care of it. God is on his throne and his plan may be it doesn't pass. So what are we going to do? Sit around licking our wounds? Poor, poor me. That's this little song we used to sing to one of our children because 
they had a, a kind of a negative attitude. And we say, oh, poor, poor me. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to eat some worms. Yeah. No, we're not going to sit around and lick our wounds. We're not going to certainly eat worms. We're moving forward. That wasn't Amanda. Listen, <laughs> when the pandemic hit, there were two options available to each one of us. One, which many decided to do, not, I mean outside, not only us, but people outside. We could shut down and complain, or we could embrace the chaos and move forward. And I'm thankful that we as a church We've embraced the opportunity. We've seized the day, as it were, and we've kept moving forward when everything and everyone around us was telling us to stop. Well, you tell a preacher to stop, that's like red meat to a bulldog. He's going to go, right? Paul teaches us, listen, we could have very easily taken the year off. And humanly speaking, who would have blamed us? We could have shut things down and said, well, we'll just try and ride it out. But if we believe that God is constantly at work, and we do, then we must do our part and work and pray and take advantage of every opportunity that God has placed right before us. This is just like God is just like manna from heaven. He's just dropped it in our laps. What are you going to do with it? So Paul teaches us as we make our plans, we set our agendas, but we need to hold on to them lightly, knowing that God is sovereign and that we, therefore, are to be submissive servants. So Paul's a role model for us. He shows us what spiritually mature, Christ-like planning looks like in day-to-day -day life. Let me wrap it up to give you a couple of examples. For instance, Paul had to decide whether or not to keep Timothy with him or send Timothy to Philippi. He has a desire to send Timothy back to Philippi so that Timothy could check on the situation there and then come back and tell Paul the good news. And he says, I want Timothy to come back and I'll be cheered by news of you. He had to make that decision. He had to make the decision whether or not to send Epaphroditus back or to keep Epaphroditus there with him. You say, well, how much of a decision was that? Well, you have to understand that Epaphroditus was a member at the church at Philippi, and he had been trusted and tasked with the responsibility of making this 700-mile journey from Philippi to Rome with an offering that the church had collected for Paul, and he had to make that perilous journey, and he was supposed to go and be a companion and a comfort to Paul. Well, how would it look to the church at Philippi if he sent Epaphroditus back? Paul was concerned that they would look down on Epaphroditus and say, there'd be some whispering, there'd be some grumbling. What's he doing back here? 
Hey, he's shirking his duties. What did he do to make Paul mad? No, Paul has to make all of these kinds of decisions. But as he makes these decisions, he makes them knowing that God could change them at any point in time. Paul had to decide what he was going to do once he was released. Again, would he stay in Rome and see the sights? Or would he make haste to Philippi to see and minister to the church there? And so he had to make all these decisions. Here's what, here's what I, here's, I, I admire so much about Paul, but here's one thing I admire about him. He was not paralyzed by any of the decisions he had to make. There are a lot of people who can't make a decision because they're paralyzed because they have to make a decision. But that wasn't the Apostle Paul. He made the decisions knowing that at any time God could change his circumstances and he would have to respond appropriately. There was a distinct possibility that Paul would never be released from prison. I'm sure he factored that in. So Paul made his decision and he made his plans even though there was an element of uncertainty about the future. Amid the uncertainty, Paul planned for the future. Do we do that? How many times have we said to ourselves, well, let's just... Wait till things settle down. Uh, let's just wait till it all comes out in the wash and then we'll move forward then. Then we'll make our decisions. No, Paul didn't do that. And neither should you and I as Christians. So I wonder, how do you approach planning as a Christian? Does God, God's plan, God's will, God's sovereignty enter into your planning? Or do you do it all in your own wisdom and your own strength? Let me conclude with some words again from Dennis Johnson, who I, I find to be tremendously helpful here. He said, how do you approach your planning for the future? Your choice of a college or university, a career path, a husband or wife. Your pursuit of a promotion, a move to a different company or a new vocation. Your investment strategy and your spending strategy and your giving strategy your dreams for your retirement years. If you are becoming a spiritual grown-up like Paul, you will formulate your hopes and plans with humility, always aware that Jesus, your sovereign, has both the right and the wisdom to overrule your choices and redirect your paths. Along with humility, your planning will express your passionate commitment, not chiefly to your own security and comfort, but rather to Jesus' glory and his mission in the world. So I ask you, who are your spiritual role models? And Paul is a worthy role model of a submissive servant.